0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to have to come together and just to study your word. We ask your spirit to lead and guide us as we examine this chapter, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in, in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come you and let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. All right, we're going to look at this because this is a prophecy of the millennial kingdom. And uh, so we're going to look at this. And it identifies who it is that's being talked to. Isaiah, the son of Amos And uh we don't really know who Amos is. There's no reference to him other than being having a famous son named Isaiah. Uh, and it says, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. So it says, in the last days, which refers to somewhere future from our day when we get into the great tribulation period and then enter into the millennial kingdom. And this one, as we see, because everything's flowing into Jerusalem, it is the millennial kingdom when Jesus rules from Jerusalem. And uh, we've gone over this several times, but we'll go over the time frame. There'll be the rapture of the church, seven years of tribulation period, and Jesus will come back just before Israel is about to be totally wiped off the face of the earth. And he will establish a rule for a 1,000 years during which time Satan will be cast into, bound up and cast into hell for a thousand years. And then he will be let loose at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ to stir up the people to war against Jesus. And Jesus will put that uh, rebellion down. This, new, uh, this current heaven and earth will be destroyed and a new heaven and earth will be created to replace this one. And that will be our home for eternity. And so this period that he's talking about here is that millennial kingdom when Christ rules on the earth from Jerusalem. And this is the description he's given to it. And uh, so in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. And we've talked about this. When you see the mountain, it's referring to Jerusalem, Zion, Mount Moriah, whatever whatever term, And and it's given many different titles on there. Uh, So it's talking about basically that Jerusalem will be established as the Lord's house. And it shall be exalted above all hills and all nations shall flow to it. In other words, it will be the capital of the world. And everything will go to Jerusalem. It will become the head of all, all cities. And it will be the utopia that man has always hoped for. And... We know in other verses that it talks about that if a man dies at 100 years old, he's just an infant in in their mindset, which means people are expected during the millennial kingdom to live for most, if not all, of the millennial kingdom. And we know from Revelation that there will be a handful of people who live through the tribulation period, who do not take the mark of the beast, and they will be the population of the world to start the millennial kingdom's rule. All right, just to help you out, so we know what this period of time is, and they're going to have a thousand years to fill the, fill the earth. Be be, after we're all gone. We will be well. We will be taken in the That's rapture. Right, then, You've got the seven years of tribulation. Yeah. Then we will come back with Jesus, but we will be in our glorified bodies, and we will help rule during that millennial kingdom. All right, but we will have our glorified bodies. We will not. We will not even have us in nature to be tempted to, to uh, turn against him. Almost like, angels? like the angels are at this point, yes. They have made their decision, they've made their choice, and they now serve God and they are in their estate that they have. And when we get our glorified bodies at that time, we will have our decision made. We made our decision while we were yet alive. Now the people coming through the tribulation, are not necessarily even believers of God just for whatever reason they chose not to take the mark of the beast the majority of them will be the Jewish people that God has put his protection on but there's probably going to be handfuls of people around the around the world that for whatever reason understood what the mark of the beast would meant and decided not to take it just totally rebellious against any any authority who knows why they don't take it and Most likely they're going to be somewhat followers of God because that would be the only thing that would make sense not to take the mark of the beast is to be one of his followers reading God's word and saying that if I take that mark, everything's over. And we're told in Revelation that anybody who takes the mark of the beast, they are condemned. They have no hope of repentance at that point because they've made their allegiance to the Antichrist. And so the time of the millennial kingdom is going to be it populated by people who had made a decision not to take that mark of the beast. And again you gotta think the mark of the beast you can't buy or sell without it. And these people are that make it through that time, most of them are going to be Jews, will be the starting population for the thousand year reign of Christ. And we will be there as his bride to help rule over that period, over those people at that time. And so but it says all nations will flow to Jerusalem. In other words, everything you know, in, during the Roman days, they said all, all, all roads lead to Rome. Well, in Jesus' day, all roads will lead to Jerusalem. You know, everything will go to Jerusalem. Uh, verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come, let us go into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, he will walk, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So again, here's everything coming in. And it says, come, he will teach us his ways. And there's gonna be some desire, and you've gotta think about this as people are coming out of the tribulation period, you know, that is as close to living in hell that any human being is ever going to be and stay on earth. Satan is ruling. God is judging the judging the world, evil is reigning, and there's gonna be a lot of death. And we've talked about this in Isaiah, it, if you just add up all of Isaiah, about 66% of the population of the world is going to die. All right? Now we figure he takes away the church, which is going to be a large percentage of the world being taken, you know, well, a percentage of the world being taken away, probably not large. But from that leftover people, about two people out of every three are going to die. That's a lot of death. That's a lot of bad that they've seen. And evil will reign. And there will be not be the restraining of the Holy Spirit so much on people because he will be basically underground working with the underground church and and those trying to follow him and there will be some that follow him we've got 144,000 Jews evangelizing the world primarily the Jewish population but but the world there will probably be cds and tapes all over the place talking about the tribulation period and there will be people when the church disappears that will come and say well how come you know, only these people were, were taken? The sad thing is there's going to be a number of churches that have nobody taken out of them because they don't believe in Jesus anyway, even though they may be Christian churches. They don't teach God's word. They don't, they don't lift up God. Very few people will be saved. There will be some churches where the majority of their people will be, will be taken because they hear, the, they hear the gospel message so often. But there will be enough churches out there that don't have any losses. They're going to say, well, it wasn't us Christians because we're still here. Okay, and that'll put some confusion, huh? Like the Buddhism? Well, no, actual Christian churches that aren't following God. They'll be saying, well, it can't be be the rapture because we're still here and we're Christians. And this will take us back to what I keep saying. Just saying you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just saying a prayer of salvation doesn't mean you're saved if you don't mean and believe what you're saying. And there will be many churches where very few people ever get taken out because the Word of God's never taught, and salvation is never taught. Things aren't called sin, and for many of those churches hardly anybody, if anybody, will be taken from them. There'll be other churches where God's Word's taught, salvation messages, and and most of their people will be taken. I don't think there'll be a church out there where 100% of their people will be taken, or a church out there where 100% of their people won't be taken. Uh, because if you have anybody who's reading the Word of God, somebody in that church might have gotten saved. In, in the same way, you don't have to belong to, be a, to a church to be taken either. Correct. And this is what I've said. We don't, you don't have to be a member of a church, but yeah. you're not really going to grow if you're not a member of a church, being taught by a pastor and having people sharpen, sharpen your, your walk with God. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Absolutely you can you will not grow. I have never seen one as grown. You have to have your fellowship. You you really have to have somebody teaching you. And it can't just be TV and radio. While those are good, I get a lot of feeding from the radio channels I listen to and the teachers that I listen to. But, you know, you have to have the people that can rub you the wrong way, make you have to live your Christianity out. And so, yes, that is true. You don't have to be in a church. But you're not going to grow. You really aren't. I haven't seen people growing that aren't part of a church. Um, and it says they will say come let us go to the mountain of God and he will teach us. It's going to be wonderful at that time to have Jesus as your teacher. You will know, be able to go right to Jesus and right to right and hear God you know giving forth the laws and teaching them how to walk. And during this period of time it's going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be more like Eden There's a a scripture that says that the child will play on the aft nest and will play with the snakes and the the lion will sleep with the lamb and all of these things. I mean, it'll be very Eden-like. There's still death there because sin still is around. The the people who are being born still have a sin nature. But Jesus is going to rule with an iron rod, which means he's going to say, no, you're not sinning. So when he comes... After the seven years of tribulation, do everybody with the mark of the beast die? They will be given, placed into hell, waiting for being sent to the the white throne judgment in the lake of fire. Okay, That's the rest of the story. After Satan rebels, everybody who's in hell will stand before the white throne judgment to be judged. And we've said before, if you stand before the white throne judgment, you're at the white throne judgment because you're guilty. Christians will all have been judged before this place at the bema seat of Christ. Christ. Okay, and the bema seat of Christ is where our works are judged, and He takes our works and throws them in a fire for lack of any other way to. It's described as being thrown into the fire, and He burns up everything that we have done, everything that is not done by Him. And out comes the precious gold, gems, and jewels, and He says, "Here's your reward for eternity," for for the Christians, for those that are His children. Anybody showing up at the white throne judgment is guilty. And those, but there will be that rebellion at the end of the millennial kingdom. Yeah. Wow. Jesus is ruled with an, with an iron rod, it says, which is, means judgment and basically harshness. And uh, I've said this, you know, I can almost picture him being the thought police. And we talk about the thought police. And he goes, you know, you're thinking about going and doing something wrong. And, yeah. and an angel or somebody comes to the door and knocks on it and says, uh, no, you're not doing this. Uh, So, because I always was wondering why would anybody after a thousand years of perfect reign join Satan? Well, there's going to be people who want to sin that have not been able to, to sin, who have been corrected every time they've thought about it or started to do it. And so there's going to be these people who just finally get to the end and said, I'm tired of this. I just, you know, and Satan is loose, Satan is loose and they're going to rebel against him and just follow where their heart has always wanted. And the millennial kingdom is that last proof to mankind that even in a perfect world, sin will reign. Sin, sin will reign even in a perfect world because we always are told in this day and age, well, if we just had the perfect world, if people just didn't you know, lead these people the wrong way, if they just were taught right from the very beginning and, that, you know, and didn't have all these rules, they would be, we'd live in utopia. Well, the millennial reign of Christ will be that proof that that's all a lie. And we get to know that ahead of time because we read the book and say, <laughs> yeah, a thousand years of perfection and they're still going to rebel. They're still going to rebel against him. And that is the defeat of the final lie, that, the big lie that we have in our day and age. If we just gave them a perfect environment, they would be okay. Well, Adam and Eve, had a per- they had a perfect environment. They didn't have a sin nature and they fell. You know, so we know that it's a lie even from that extent, but even taken to the other extreme, they're going to have a virtual perfect world in the millennial kingdom and man will still rebel. Still, still rebel, still want to sin. Even with a perfect leader, perfect laws, perfect government, no mis- m- miscarriages of justice because you've got a perfect judge judging all the cases, and they will still you know, want to rebel when it comes, given the opportunity. So, and here, here we see him, the, the people are going to come. The people are going to flock to Jerusalem just to be taught. You know? And I love that idea because I think you know, one of the greatest things as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, that I would love to ever see with people just flocking to church to be able to taught, be taught about God and going out and wanting to live correctly. And yet we see this is what's going to happen during the Millennial Kingdom. People are going to flock to God to be taught. And with the right motive, because when Jesus walked this world, the motive was always, what are you going to do for us today? You, know, you healed this person, you fed us, you did this, you did this. And many times people were going for the wrong motivation when they went to Jesus. Ten lepers went to get healed, and only one ever came, you know, came, back, to, came back to say thank you. And uh, that happened frequently when Jesus was alive. People were coming for the wrong reasons. During the millennial kingdom, they're going to flock to him, but they're coming for the right reason. Tell us how to live. Tell us what to do and how to, how to live your laws. And, you know, it's going to be a great time. Many people will be walking according to God during this period of time and choosing him. It's still going to depend on the grace of God and, you know, the grace of Jesus because no man's works are going to get him into heaven even during the millennial kingdom. But that's what all this teaching is going to be about. Here's the sacrifice that was made. You need to believe in that sacrifice. Turn your, turn your life over to be ruled by me, and then there's going to be those that are just going to, no, fight it. Fight it with every part that they have, and it's going to draw a huge army in the, in the, in the last battle. But then you keep on saying, like, that's a thousand years. I can't picture a thousand years. We're not even conquered for a hundred years. To so me that seems long, but a thousand years, you know, waiting? Ten, ten, years, ten years beyond the normal lifespan of humans at this age. But this is Jesus ruling, and there's going to be... When you read the pictures of the Millennial Kingdom as this one, he's purified everything. When Jesus touches Mount Olive, it splits open. Waters run from Mount Olive and clean up the Dead Sea and, and refresh that whole land, and he... He does a lot of things that are going to be supernatural to clean up the environment, uh, make people generally healthy. Uh, and, you know, somebody being 100, being considered an infant, you know, means that the strength in the, you know, that they're going to have at three, four, five hundred 500 years old is still going to be the full strength of their, their body. The decay is going to be, you know, the clock is going to be rewound back to like it was in Eden. You know, not perfect, because sin still is there. But... Greatly nullified. And after Eden, remember, during the first 1,400 years of this world, people were living to be eight, 900 years old, uh, yeah. right up at about 1,000 years old. So he's going to roll back a lot of the imperfect DNA structures and probably take down, you know, mm-hmm. reduce the pollution levels and everything, as only God can do, so that people can live eight, 900, 1,000 years. Uh, and have children, and by the time they get to the end of the millennial kingdom, they're going to be children that are just newly born and everything uh, won't really know the the tribulation period. It's going to, and they'll, all they'll know is this virtually perfect world, and still want to rebel. Yeah. That's hard to imagine. Only seven years and they'd forget. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's just it's just an amazing thing when you think about. A thousand years of virtual perfection and still that's not enough to keep man from choosing to to sin. And uh, he says, the people will come flocking, verse 4, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall there learn war any more. For a thousand years, no war. The nations will not fight each other; they will not. There will be peace. Uh, They shall not learn war, or literally become experts, or be instructed in war. Very beautiful thing to picture. It's the utopia that man thinks he wants. No more war. Plenty of food because God is putting an environment where where food will be plenty, and life expectancy virtually unlimited, you know, in a thousand years. Uh, and it says, he will judge the nations, and he shall rebuke many people. That means there's going to be people he's going to have to correct during this period of time. Now, whether he's correcting them before or after the act, it doesn't say. and that, uh, And we can figure it either way. Give them long enough to decide to act on what they're trying to think or stop them even... You know, when they get to that point where they're ready to act on it. And I believe, I personally believe he'll stop them when they're ready to act on it. He'll send conviction when they think about it and then stop them before they do it because harm can happen to people when sin is acted on. And I think he will stop it. He's going to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords during that period of time. And I just believe, I, I personally, and I can't prove it out because God knows our thoughts. I think he will stop most of the sin before it happens. Which gives people a reason to want to war against him, when they're finally given that opportunity at the, at the end of a thousand years. Uh, and I, and I'm not going to claim that I'm right on this. It's just my thought on it. He's powerful enough to be the ultimate thought police, and I do believe that he will be. It won't be that first thought, you know, that he stops. But when you're getting ready to go out the door and and actually commit it, or actually take whatever <laughs> steps to actually commit it, I think it'll be that knock on the door saying, no, you're not doing that. And he'll stop and he'll bring them in and judge them. And that's my personal opinion, and it's worth what it is, my personal opinion. Uh, but no crime will be gotten away with during that period of time because uh, you got the omniscient father being the one that's catching them. And that's why I really don't think they'll even happen. But it says he's going to rule all the nations. Those nations are going to beat their swords into into plow shears and, and their spears into pruning hooks. And these are all pictures that he's using of his day because there aren't spears and swords in this day. But at the same time, we talked about this in, in Ezekiel. It is possible that during the middle of the tribulation period that Satan may take away all the weapons of the world and keep just his people, his army, weaponized so that most people may not have our current modern-day weapons, so it may be literally swords and spears that these guys are coming into the Millennial Kingdom with, Uh, and that's a possibility. Again, is this a figurative point of view that the weapons of war are going to be melted down and and beat down, or is it literally all that they had toward the end of the uh, seven seven years of Tribulation is old-fashioned weapons because Satan has, you know, confiscated all the weapons from all around the world, and uh, taken all the modern-day military weapons, and that's a strong possibility that that could happen. Either way, it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a figurative statement or a literal statement. Basically, he's saying they're going to take in what was used for war and use it for basically farming, farming implements. You know, take the jeeps and use them for as a as a trailer for the for the farm and that kind of stuff. Um, so again, whether it's literal or figurative, it doesn't matter, but the war implements will be taken away and not used anymore, and they're not going to learn to fight. And you know that's that's an amazing thought in and of itself. Nation not fighting nation because they're not learning war, which means that God has put some peace in their hearts and that there's not going to be a lot of jealousy. There's definitely not going to be a scarcity of resources, which which is a cause for a lot of wars. There's not going to be any religious reasons for war because God is the ruler of everything. So most of the main reasons for war have been eliminated. He's the he's the God of the entire world, so there's not nations battling over their borders. So, you know, the the major reasons for war are gone. And it's because he's put it in their heart. He's not even going to let the anger and the bitterness and, and stuff come out and he's teaching people how to respect one another, how to love one another. And you know, most wars ultimately come down come down to people not feeling like they're respected. And that's why men always have trouble with you know, going into battle is they don't feel respected for some reason. And so there's going to be some respect during this period of time. People are going to be given good life pro- processes and they're going to be taught. And the good news is there's no demons or the devils to tempt them as well. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be perfect because remember, we've already discussed, we do not need Satan to do wrong things because we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life within us. We will commit enough sins without any temptation. But you know what? It will be a whole lot easier without the temptation as well. Without a devil sit or a demon sitting there on your, on your shoulders, whispering in your ear to... to really intensify what you're thinking and seeing it'll be a lot easier for them to walk in a more perfect lifestyle but they're still sinners and they're still going to want to do the wrong things they're still going to see things and want things that aren't theirs because of the lust of the eyes and the pride of life all these things that we have that we even without the demonic forces we would sin and this period of the millennial kingdom will show that as well to people even without the demons, you know, the demons have been cast into Hades, uh, to, to hell for a thousand years, and even without them, men are still going to want to sin. It'll just be a little bit less without the help of the demons to intensify. won't be able to blame it on the devil. Definitely won't be able to blame it on the devil because he's bound up. <laughs> yeah. And there will be, And there will be less because half of our problems are we see something we desire. You know, we have some desires, and we, and we okay. No God, I want to, I want to block it off. But, the, but a lot of times we have this little, you know, thoughts that start into our mind. You know, those are the thoughts you have in the middle of a, a message on Sunday morning, and, and all of a sudden you get hit with this really strange, bizarre thought or temptation. It's like, where in the world did that come from? Well, that probably wasn't your thought in the middle of the, of the message. It was probably a projection from the demonic world. And it's in how are you going to react on it? But you know, there are other times when you're driving along and you just think or see something that makes you think of something, and that's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And so we have plenty of problems on our own, but in the millennial kingdom, it will be lessened because there's not millions or billions of demons, however many demons there are, planting little thought processes into us and saying, oh, you know, wasn't that woman beautiful? Wouldn't wouldn't you want her? You know, and this, and the, you know, your, your mind had already thought that, and then all of a sudden the demonic world comes in and intensifies yeah. the attack. Yeah, there's no reason you can't have her. Yeah, <laughs> or him, depending on who it might be. Uh, and so there will still be sin, still be issues, but it will be lessened because of no demonic attack, because the demons are awaiting trial. <laughs> uh, just a short wait for them, a thousand years. <laughs> Hey, right, verse five. O house of Jacob, come you and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore, you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are. And they please themselves in the children of strangers. Their land also is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end to their treasure. Their land is full of horses. Neither is there any end to their chariots. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made. And the mean man bows down. And the great man humbles himself. Therefore forgive them not. All right, so here's a picture of where Israel is when the return comes, Uh, the return of Jesus. O house of Jacob, come you, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Okay, this is Isaiah begging the people, walk in the light of the Lord. And we've talked about this at various times. The word light in the Old Testament does not always refer to the visible light spectrum, Okay. And in this case, it definitely does not respond to you know, refer to the visible light. This is light of instruction and doctrine and teaching, or literally even the face of God. You know, the face of God. Come, let us walk in the light of God, in His face, His face shining on us, His doctrine, His teachings. And you'll see this all through the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms. I had to do a study on light one time because I kept going in. And Psalms kept making it sound like they were worshiping light. Okay. And I'm going, this doesn't make any sense. Everybody's supposed to be worshiping God. And all through the Psalms it says, worship the light and praise, praise the light, and all these other different things. I'm going, this doesn't make sense to me. And I had to go in and I did a long study on light to realize that light is oftentimes the instruction that brings God's light of how He wants us to live into our life. And that's what this verse is about. Come let us walk in the light of the Lord. What's His instructions? What does He want us to do? And you know when we walk in His light, life is a whole lot easier. And When we come to a decision and we go, God, what is it you would have me do and we compare it to the scriptures. And it may not seem easy the first couple times we do it or may not even make sense when we do it, but we look back and say, wow, that was a good decision. Thank you God. Thank you for that decision. I I don't have the hangover. I didn't I didn't have all the consequences that I would have if I had not done this. And we have the consequences he gives us, which are the blessings that he gives us. And here he's begging the people to come worship God, walk in his truth. This is like the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Well, all through all through it because remember there's going to be people who are born in it, people who come or, come to their decision when they're six 600 years old, just as they do in, in our day. Okay, I've had enough of them knocking at my door, stopping me from sinning. Maybe maybe I need to go and turn my life over to him. Okay, people are not instantly going to turn their life over to him at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, just as they don't in our day and age. They still have a free, free will to follow God or not follow God. It's just more difficult to be disobedient uh, to the place where they're either going to Really get bitter in their heart because of their disobedience. Think think about a very hard-willed child. The more you discipline them, the more they want to go against them. Or the compliant child who all you have to do is give them a look and they melt They melt like butter. Okay, This is going to happen during the millennial kingdom. The more God punishes them for their disobedient thoughts, the more they're going to become rebellious or the softer they're going to get and just say, Okay, God, I... I surrender, help me, <laughs> help me live the way you want, or you just wait, give me one opportunity, give me one opportunity, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn against you and, and make life, make your life difficult, God, as if a man could make his life difficult, but that would be the rebellious, the rebellious nature, saying, okay, you're making my life difficult, just wait. And then at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, Satan gets a chance to get all those people with that rebellious heart, that have hardened their heart against God. So even during the Millennial Kingdom it is, it's going to be two groups of people. Those who are genuinely trying to follow God and hopefully they'll be the larger group at that time and those that are just totally rebellious. And there, we don't have any indication as to which group's going to be the larger group, but there will be two groups. Uh, God always has a remnant and evil right now always has the majority, but in the Millennial Kingdom he probably evil will probably have the remnant. At least I would hope so. But that would also show, that would also show the, the total depravity of man and his sinful nature. That even with God reigning, that, that it's a remnant of people wanting to follow him. And that's a possibility. It's a real possibility there's still just going to be a remnant of going, that want to follow him. Though they see God. He's totally in control. Everything's at peace. And you could still have just a remnant that want to follow him. And it's more likely it's going to be the remnant even then. Because our sin nature is more awful than we can ever imagine. God says he knows the depths of our heart. At the depth of our heart is iniquity. And, you know, this is a sad thing. And as we know this as we grow in Christ. And he shines the light a little deeper into our life, a little deeper in our life. And then we start seeing how, really, we've knocked out a lot of big sins in our life. And then he shines the light down and even further. And we see nothing but a whole bunch of more garbage. Okay. <laughs> the Millennial Kingdom is going to bring that out for people. That in your depths of your heart is a desire to be disobedient. And we're going to start to see this awfulness of the sin nature. So, you know, thinking it through, it may be even in the Millennial Kingdom that there's only going to be a remnant of those who truly follow God. Because it'll be that big, like I said, it's going to be the the end of that one big lie of Satan in the world. That if man just lived perfectly, Everything would be okay. But I understood you to say that the ones that were taken up in the rapture will come back down at this time? The Christians will come with him. We will be behind Jesus on, on horses as he comes back to this world and we will rule with him. We're not going to be part of this. Oh, okay. So in one sense when I say the remnant will be there it will be the remnant of human okay. humans that are with their sin nature. We won't be of the earth. We will, have our, we will have our glorified bodies. We will be perfected. Okay, in this case, as Sharon said, we will be more like the angels. We're not going to be angels. I want to be very careful when I say that. But we're going to be more like them. Our decision is already made. We are in our glorified bodies. We are his servants. And we won't be tempted by all of this just as the good angels, the two-thirds of the angels that didn't fall are not tempted to be disobedient okay so during this period of time in one sense there's going to be lots of humans if you want to count us in our glorified bodies as humans and that would make the majority but But we're not living we're not going to have children we're not going we are in our glorified bodies as Jesus said like the angels neither neither uh, being married or or having uh, children so we will have our glorified bodies as that time So there's kind of almost three different groups here. We've got God, or four, the angels, the glorified humans, and the humans still with their sin nature. So there's four four groups during this period of time. That helps to understand a little bit of where we're at. And the ones that are still human with their sin nature, they're going to be the ones reproducing. They're going to be the ones running back and forth to Jerusalem. You know, what we'll be doing to help rule, I don't know, maybe we'll be teachers, maybe we'll be instructors. You know, who knows what, it will mean to rule with him during the millennial kingdom. Well, that makes more sense now, what okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we we lost you a little bit on that. That's all, right. all right. So he's encouraging those that are living at that time come walk in the light of the Lord. He goes because you are for- because God has forsaken his people, Jacob, because they are replenished or refilled from the east. In other words. The land is keeping, keeping new people coming into it. And these people, he says, are soothsayers, idol worshippers, fortune tellers. Oh, soothsayers. Yeah. soothsayers literally is that whole idea of fortune tellers, uh, those who follow after demons, uh, necromancy or, or sorcery. Okay, there's still going to be some evil people or evil desires. But they're being judged because as they come in, this is who they are as they come into the millennial kingdom. And he says, they're, and they please themselves in the children of strangers or harlots, literally, harlots, prostitutes, those who aren't following God. And we've got to, we're going to again come back to the end of the tribulation period. Most of the people that God saves through the tribulation period, the Jews, are still not truly following him. Satan stands up in the temple and says, I'm God, and all of a sudden they get an epiphany that this isn't God. But they're still not truly following God all that, all that great. He's going to hide them. He's going to protect them. And even then, much of their blindness is going to be there that we don't know. We just don't know what's going on. And we see this all through Israel's history. A king comes along, follows God. The people pretend to follow God for the most part. Get rid of their idols, hide their idols, whatever it might be, because it's now against the law to have idols. But as soon as that king dies, the idols just pop up everywhere because that's what people want to do. And we see this over and over and over again all through history. You have a righteous government running a place, following God, and sin is kind of pushed down underground. Then the evil, evil rulers come up, and the sin comes popping up out from under the ground, and the Christians end up, or the followers of God end up going underground. That's the way it was in early Rome. The Christians were underground with their church while sin abounded. And we think sin's abounding now, and we're not like it was in Rome yet. We're getting a lot closer. But we look at our world, especially here in America and Europe, and we've got all this sin that's coming up all over the place. Homosexual, homosexuality being, being accepted, bestiality being accepted, uh, fornication being accepted. And if you try to tell them what God says, you know, we're like, huh, who are you? Put your, put your morality on us. Okay. This is what it's going to be like during that tribulation period. You, know, hey, you crazy 144,000 preachers, what are, who are you to give this morality of God stuff on us? And many of them will lose their lives preaching, preaching the gospel, but they're going to reach people. And people are going to come into the millennial kingdom being convinced of God, and they're going to be those who are just there because they happen to be protected enough not to take the mark of the beast and get there. And may or may not be followers of God, and from what this says, many of them won't be followers of God. They're following idols. They're follow, they're worshiping at the at the altar of all these different idols. It says their land is full of gold uh, and silver, and there's no end to their treasure. They have their land is full of horses, and there's no end to their chariots. In other words, they're coming in very wealthy. And you know, the sad thing is, so many people with great wealth are totally empty. You know, and it's a very sad thing. You know, and we and how do we know they're empty? Well, if you get to ever meet somebody and, and talk to them that have a lot of wealth and that I've only done one or two people, they're, they're never really happy. They're always wondering why people like them. You know, are, are you trying to be my friend because you want something or do you really like me? Uh, we read in the newspapers all the time about all the problems they have in their life. And they suicide too. Their, 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 their suicide, their drug use, their alcohol use, the... They're desperate attempts at getting anything out of life. And you go, you wouldn't do these things if you had the peace of God. So they're trying hard to fill and basically saying, there's no end to all of this, but they're still not very happy. No end to their wealth. No end to their, the land is full of their idols. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't bad enough just saying, you know, they were getting around with the prostitutes or those who are following idols, he goes, and the land is full of idols. And you can picture, during the tribulation period, idols are going to be rampant all over the place because now these idols are going to have real demons giving them the appearance of power and people worshiping them and getting the appearance of power during this period of time because Satan is seeking that worship. And he's going to make wonders. During the tribulation time, you read about all the miracles or seeming miracles that he accomplishes and he's going to do things. He's going to raise the the image of the of the beast back to life after it's killed. He's going to, you know, do all kinds of miracles. He's going to call down fire. He's going to call, you know, there's going to be these things that appear to be miracles because Satan has the ability to do supernatural activities. He just can't create. Okay? He can mimic a lot of what God does, but he can never create. He cannot start life. He can just make artificial Things that look like life, and this is what's going to happen during that time. They're going to worship. Many people are going to worship him because man wants to sin, and here's a guy that says, "Okay, have as much sin as you want. As just worship me, and you can do all the bad you want." I'm, you know, the world's going to be pretty bad during that period of time. You know, when when bad is really rewarded for seven years, and uh, you know, there's still going to be consequences because God still has the laws of sowing and reaping. But there's not going to be as strong a force on, on it. God's not going to intervene and say, okay, we're going to force these things on you. And it's going to appear like they're getting away with things. And it says, your land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands and that which their fingers have made. And this is a picture, Isaiah puts this idea out a lot. Idols are man's creation, and he's trying to make a point to people. And you know, in one place in here, he's going to say, Man goes out to the, to the forest, cuts down a tree, uses half of it to, to make an idol and half of it to make his dinner You know, and just show the, the absolute foolishness of it and he really tries to point out all through the book idols are man-made creation and you're worshiping them? It makes no sense when you really think about it. Bowing down to something that man has made. I created this, I made it look like some god and now we're going to worship it and it would be one thing if somebody else made it and some and other people worshiped it but he's going to point out that people are making their idols and worshipping them but the idols can't talk can't the idols can't talk here speak can't do anything because you created them they're a block of wood covered with covered with metal and you made them you carved them you did this and now you're bowing yourself down to something that you created and this is something that Isaiah keeps hammering home in many places through his book. Trying to get people to see the foolishness of worshiping idols. And then it says, the mean men bow down and the great man humble himself, therefore forgive them not. Even if they decide to try to look like they're repenting, he says don't forgive them. This is a different time. This is and this is going to be those people that come through the tribulation period that have taken the mark of the beast, who have bowed themselves down. They're going to be rejected. There's no forgiveness for them at all. And those who want to come out of the tribulation period and worship idols, they're not going to have their forgiveness either. They're going to there's going to be some judgment, and there's going to be some harsh judgments on on during that period of time. We only have five minutes. We're going to stop here because I don't can't finish the chapter. And this next one is all one long point. So we're going to bow in prayer. and Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, just help us to share the gospel with others so that, number one, they don't even have to face the tribulation period and that they will come back in their glorified, redeemed bodies for the millennial kingdom. And Lord, help us to understand your mighty work and yet the tears of how many people will be lost during this period of time without you. In your Son's name, amen.